Thank you for joining us for this recent message from Freedom Ministries in Crossit, Arkansas. Connect with us online at freedomministriescrossit.com and let us know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Now prepare your heart to hear a word that we pray will bless your life. Galatians 5, 15-17 says this. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Brother Ernie, would you bring the cross up, please? I'm sorry, I forgot to ask you. Thank you, Brother Ernie. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is a shouting message, I bet. Hey, that's good stuff. He said, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. How many, anybody, that's a good thing, anybody trying to get away from the flesh? Yeah? Hey, family members, you'd like to get away from the flesh? That's why we pray. Amen? This I say, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These words right here in the King James, lusteth means war. It means to fight. Your flesh, your, your, your human nature is fighting against the Spirit of God. Yeah. And these are contrary to the one to the other, that you not do the things that you would. Amen. So I have a message tonight titled, Stop the Fight. Amen. Stop the fight. We're an army dressed for battle. Amen. And we sing it. We're dressed for war. That means we're clothed in our right mind, the righteousness of Christ. We have on the full armor of God, and we're an army dressed for battle. And as an army, we're prepared to fight. Amen? And sometimes, hey, listen, sometimes as an army, we bring the fight, right? You ever had to bring the fight to a situation? Now, our devil, loose him and let him go. That's my boy right there. Get your dirty hands off. Sometimes you got to bring the fight. Over here. Sometimes you gotta bring the fight to your wayward family. You come on the offense. You don't sit back and wait on the enemy to slap you around. Amen. You bring the fight. When the bills, I guarantee you, if you shut off notices, will increase your prayer life. You'll bring the fight to your finances. Amen. Whoo! I remember one time I opened the mailbox and Brandy said, "What we got?" I said, "Oh, honey, we got another opportunity to pray." Look right here. We get to stand in faith for about three days before we light the candles. <laughs> you ever been there? Sometimes you got to bring the fight. And we're taught, David brought the fight. Goliath was attacking Israel. And there comes a time, like Pastor Casey was saying, you get a holy anger. You get fed up with what's going on. And I'm tired of seeing people come after God. And after a couple weeks, they're pulled back out into the world. If you don't have tears for that, ask God to give them to you because something is wrong. If you can sit and watch people come in and hang out a while and go back out without it causing you to cry and pray and tears in your prayer life, ask God what's wrong. It's a real deal. There's a battle for the soul. Amen? God give us tears. All right, but sometimes, Oh, yeah. Sometimes we have to stop the fight. Sometimes 
we got to come against what's coming against us and say, that's it. Come hell or high water, I'm shutting myself in. Devil, you ain't getting my marriage. I'm stopping this attack upon my marriage. And I don't care if I go to work, but I'm locking this front door and I ain't going out until you leave, Satan. Get your hands off of my marriage. Get off of my family. I'm stopping this attack. I'm tired of my friends and my neighbors dying with needles in their arms. Brother Hunter says, I'm stopping this fight. Freedom, recovery, and hammer, stopping the fight. Thread of hope, stopping the fight. Amen. Sometimes you got to stop the fight. And there's a fight for your soul and your mind. And let me tell you more importantly, there's a fight for your hunger. Don't let anything take the hunger of God. Don't get lukewarm. Don't fall where you can go with or without the things of God. Don't ever, as long as you're content to live without revival in your life, you will. Amen. Sometimes a little sign is broken. But when you're going to preach about fighting, guess what? Get ready for a fight. We stop the fight. Now, one of the most famous fights, can you put up picture number one? One of the most famous fights that was stopped in all of American history was by a man named Eddie Futch. It was Muhammad Ali. And smoking Joe Frazier. It was the thriller in Manila. Smoking Joe. Smoking Joe. Joe's trainer told him, go in that ring, Joe, and make smoke come from him gloves, baby. They had done fought three times. And this was to see who was going to live or die. Amen? This is a gospel message. Okay, that's good. Thank you. This was the third fight between Ollie and Frazier. And it took place on October 1st. 1975 in the Philippines. Ali, number two, please. Ali controlled the early rounds. He kept Frazier at bay with a jab, scoring with uh, shots aimed at his head. Any normal human being would have been wiped out, but not Joe Frazier. Frazier was one of the toughest fighters to ever step in the ring. No matter what Ali hit him with, Frazier kept coming back. Huh? Amen. That's good. It appeared as if Frazier would lose the first four rounds. But he reached down and he grabbed another gear. Have you ever had to reach down in your walk with God and grab one more gear? Say, you know what? I'm not going out like this. I might be punched up against the ring, the ropes, everybody else, all the other churches might want me going down, but I ain't going down just to spite them. I'm going to stay up on my feet just to make y'all mad because I ain't going out like this. Joe Frazier, he had to reach down and grab another gear, man. <laughs> he kept up this aggressive, hard-charging style. And by the 11th round, Frazier was back high in the scorecards. Mm -hmm. But it was a 15-round match, one of the hottest fights in American history. In the Philippines, the humidity was like 100-something degrees. It was tough. Hey, let me tell you, sometimes it gets tough. Sometimes you're just going to have to grit your teeth and say, you know what, this walk with God, some things i got to go through is just tough. But it's just the way it is. God made me tough. I can do it. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Sometimes we're such wimps. We are such wimps in America. Our churches are air-conditioned. They're cushioned seats. 
and our excuses are longer than anybody in a third world country for not going to church. Yeah. I just think of all the ones that I've used. That's enough. I don't have anything to wear. I wore that last week. I forgot. Tell your wife or your husband you forgot to come home one night for six nights. See how that works for you. Six days you forgot to come home. Oh, yeah, honey, but I love you. I promise I'm committed to you. One day out of a week and we forget. Try that with your husband or your wife. Hey, I love you, but I'll be there next week. It's real. How do you forget God? What if when he was upon this cross, he forgot you? You know, I'm amazed. Jesus had to carry his cross after he was beaten and bloodied and hurting. You ever been hurt? You ever been beat up? You ever been attacked raw? You ever done a workout at the gym? You feel like that, huh? That's why I look at a lot of my workout stuff. <laughs> he carried it 2,000 feet. That's what it said. When I, I was wondering, because I had a reason for wondering. That's 666 yards, point six six seven. Got to have the seven on the end. Six football, six and a half football fields. He drove that cross. And we can't even go 10 feet to the altar because we're afraid we're going to be embarrassed. Somebody's going to wonder, why are you coming to the altar to get prayer? What you been doing all week? Six and a half football fields. And we can't even go 25 feet to the altar and ask God to do a work in us. To take the pride out. No wonder something's upside down in the body of Christ today. I only know one way to go after God. That's all the way. Give him all you got. Everything, all the time. I don't know of any other way. You go wide open. You might look foolish. They might talk about you, but you're wide open. Love God wide open. He loved me wide open. He accepted me with all my foolish stuff. Okay. Back to Ali. Number three, I think. Woo-wee, that's Joe Frazier. But then it happened at the end of the 14th round, right before the 15th. And Joe, Joe's trainer steps in and says, stop the fight. And Joe Frazier said, no, no, no. He said, you can't take another round. Nobody will ever forget what you did, Joe. It's one of the most famous fights, one of the most famous stops in history. He stopped the fight. He was looking out for Joe's life. Joe's wife was begging him not to fight anymore. He can't take any more punches. He had five kids. And Ali said, of all the men I fought, Sonny Liston was the scariest. George Foreman was the most powerful. Floyd Patterson was the most skilled as a boxer. But the toughest and roughest was Joe Frazier. He brought out the best that ever fought. Thank you. I think somewhere else it said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? He knew Joe Frazier, and I can tell you what, there's some people in this ministry that the devil full well knows. And the devil, from day to day, I thought, stop the fight, stop the fight. 
Quit fasting. Quit praying. Quit coming after God. All right. I got to hurry. I'm not used to not having patience. It'll be all right. I'm going to quit whining. Huh? All right. Number four. Y'all think I'm old, don't you, with these black and white pictures? Let's see if y'all recognize what this picture is. In the early hours of December 7th, Hawaiian time, Japan launched a major surprise. A carrier-based airstrike without any warning crippled the U.S. Pacific Fleet in a place called Pearl Harbor. Eight American battleships out of action. 188 American aircraft were destroyed. And 2,403 American citizens, citizens were dead. Japan decided they wanted to get a little bit of this from a good old USA. Thought they'd bring the fight. For three years they brought it. They heard us, but what they didn't know was what we had floating out in the Pacific and out in the rest of the ocean. They overlooked. I have a reason for telling you this. Three years, thousands and thousands of lives. But let me tell you. On August 6, 1945, a B-29 bomber dropped the first atom bomb on Hiroshima. The explosion wiped out 90% of the city, killed 80,000 people instantly. Instantly. That was it. Three days later, a second B-29 bomber dropped an A-bomb in Nagasaki. Killed 40,000 instantly. And let me tell you what. Japan's Emperor Hirohito, <laughs> after that second whammy in Nagasaki, he said, stop the fight. Stop the fight. Stop the fight. This is what he said. See, they was on the USS Missouri right there, one of the U.S. naval battleships, and that's the premier of Japan signing over the Articles of Surrender. Amen? He said, uh, <laughs> he announced his country's unconditional surrender in World War II on a radio address August 15th, citing the power of a new and most cruel bomb. And so after years of resisting, in years of fighting, after years of cruel fighting, they said, stop the fight. And see, when an army moves into battle and stops the fight of war, the word surrender is used on the defeated side. And defeat, I mean, surrender is an old military term all the way back to the 1500s, yeah. meaning to give oneself up. Y'all with me? Y'all are awesome. Japan didn't only surrender. This is not a history lesson, I promise. Although kind of maybe. Japan agreed to an unconditional surrender. Which meant that they were defeated and they were not entitled to anything. They give it all up. All. So here the whole nation... Surrender. Well, although Japan officially surrendered in 1945, it would be 30 years. 30 years would go by before they totally surrendered. 
Mm -hmm. Somebody say still fighting. Still fighting. The last picture, please. The war was over. The world was at peace. And it looked like Japan had surrendered. But they wasn't. Because a part of them was still fighting. This soldier right here was in the Philippines. His name was Onada. He wrote, Haro Onada. He's a Japanese soldier. Now listen, here's where it gets to us. He was a Japanese soldier that hunkered down in the jungles of the Philippines for 30 years, for three decades, refusing to believe that World War II had ended. In 1944, he was sent to the, he, he was sent to the small island right before the war was over. But when the war came, and I mean, when the bombs dropped and, the, and, they, and they surrendered, he would not believe it. So Nada and a few fellow holdouts hid in the jungle, they dismissed every message that the war was over. Everybody say a few holdouts. A few holdouts. See, <laughs> for 29 years he lived on food gathered from the jungle, stolen from local farmers. He had a few people with him, and little by little they'd have shootouts with the uh, uh, Philippine Army and Philippine police. Couldn't catch his cat. He said, I fight till I, until I'm told otherwise. He would not let go. 30 years. This is a true story, man. Boy, if we would have commitments like that. Amen. <laughs> And so finally, it took his former commanding officer. They took airplanes and dropped thousands upon hundreds of thousands of leaflets over the Philippine jungle. Trying to tell him. They sent pictures from his family. They sent letters and they printed them by the millions and would drop them over the jungle. He think it was a lie and a trick of the enemy. He wouldn't surrender. 30 years the war had been over. His commanding officer that he was so loyal to was retired. They sent him to the jungle and finally found him. And then he surrendered. So what's all that got to do with us, huh? Well, here we go. He had a few holdouts. See, many of us think a long time ago we surrendered to the Lord. But what we don't realize is there's a few holdouts still left on the inside of us. And tonight, God is saying he wants to stop the fight. See, there's a few holdouts evaded capture. There's a few things that has evaded deliverance from the prayer, from the altar. Those little things in us that just won't let God take it out. Just won't let pastor get close enough with you in prayer to get it all out. It evades capture and for years upon years on the outside and publicly surrendered. Almost everything else has ceased but there's a couple of little things that are holed up in our life on the inside. Does this make sense? They hid themselves. See, you hide these things from your neighbor and from your wife and from your children, but they're there. They hide themselves. They evade capture. They run from the Holy Ghost. When the anointing's really falling, you get up and leave the presence of God. Why? Because of pressure. I can't take it. I don't want to be delivered. I do want to be delivered. I don't want it. I don't want nobody to know. They dismiss all the messages of saying, stop the fight, the war is over. Hey, look, man, you got saved a long time ago. Quit fighting. But it won't listen. And so, <laughs> the question is, how do I stop the fight when the fight is on the inside of me? 
How do I stop the fight when the fight is on the inside of me? Japan surrendered on the outside. Frazier, the fight was stopped on the outside. The American forces and Allied forces stopped the World War II on the outside, but what about on the inside? What about the you that lays down at night and can't hardly go to sleep because there's a fight? What about you that can't hardly get up and come to prayer or come to church because there's a fight? Every time you get around certain people, man, there's a fight. And then the condemnation comes out. And it's a vicious cycle. Will you hand me that, please? So this is how you stop the fight. I surrender all. All means the entirety. And that means a portion. All means all. I surrender all. But not all of your strength that you try to live for God in your strength and you try to work it up in what you can hang on and manage to pull it through one more day. That's not what I mean. God didn't call you to live for him in, his, in your own strength. When you surrender, the fighting stops. I had a man on a construction site ask me one time, brother, well, he didn't call me brother. He said, man, I didn't know you was a preacher. I said, well, I don't really wear a sign. <laughs> I never really saw the need to wear a sign. So <laughs> he said, man, how, it's got to be tough. How do, you, how do you look for Christ on these, on these jobs and in this atmosphere, on these construction sites? I said, oh, man, it's easy. He looked at me like I was crazy. What do you mean it's easy? I surrendered. I surrendered. I don't fight God anymore. Hey, I said I quit fighting against the Holy Ghost. The fight, the hardness of living for Christ is when you're still trying to have the old way and the new way. That's the fight. God wants you to surrender the old way so he can give you a new way. But when we're still trying to hold on to it and you're fighting against what God wants you to have, there's the fight. All it takes is willingness. It's not about strength. It's about willingness. Are you willing? Are you willing to surrender? Japan was willing to surrender after two atom bombs. I promise you. And why sometimes we have those atom bombs dropped in our life. Things go terribly wrong and we run to God. And that's great. But when the explosion is over and the blast is over and everybody comes and someone's cleaned up the mess, we forget about the impact of that bomb. You know how many people in Japan don't even know about the bomb? Time does not heal things. God heals but over time, we tend to get laxed, and we forget. Amen? All right. There's three areas. God showed me. Three areas. At least it ain't 30. Amen? Hey, y'all can laugh. At least it ain't 30. I remember the day when it felt like 40. But there's three areas that try to hold out in us long after we surrender. There's three areas that hold out fighting against God long after we officially surrender to him. The first one is religion. I said religion. Religious ways. 
The second one is excuses. Oh, how we love it. That's three in. That's two. I did quit my senior year. And the, th the third one is double-mindedness. See, religion, Psalms 51.6, says God desires truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Psalm 51.6. She's trying her best. Thank you. God bless you. Awesome. Thank you. God desires truth. But religion is fake. It pretends and it wears a mask. When this ministry was found, Pastor Ali, the first thing she told us is take the mask off. Anyway, she, I hear people a lot saying, I don't know how to pray like y'all pray. I don't know how to pray like, I wish I could pray. I don't have a prayer life. Let me tell you what. I can tell you real simple how to pray and have a prayer life to get your prayers answered and call down fire. Take the mask off and get real with God. Pastor Ali said, Brother Timmy, you got to tell God all about it. Yes, ma'am. So I start telling him in my little religious, religious way. He said, now, you got to tell him. So I, I, th I thought it was, Pastor. She said, take the mask off and get real. You hate his guts. Tell him, God, I hate his guts. Come on. You can't go to God with this little fake prayer. God, you know, I, 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 I'm trying to like him, God, and, and bless him when you hate him. You've got to get it out. God, I hate his guts. You know what he did to my mama? I watched him all of those years. If I could ever get my hands around his neck, God, I'm telling you, I would choke him down. And you keep praying until you get as real as you can get. And when you get it all out, then you tell him, but God, forgive me. Help me, God. Help me, God. Help me find something to love this man with. Help me to find something to forgive this man with. Help me, Jesus. I had a boss man. Man, I quit a career and come home to a dead-end job at the, at the direction of pastor and my wife. It was the voice of the Lord. And when I came home, I had to work for this man. I, pride was in me, and I didn't even realize it. But I was, I, I was over like 60 people. He couldn't keep up with five, man. And he, his mouth was vile and wretched. And he just so filthy mouth and, and chauvinistic and terrible things about women. And, and man, I don't want to hear all that stuff. You know, I'll come out of all that. I don't want to hear that all day long. I said, Brother Tim, you got to love that man. you gotta, <laughs> you got to find something good to say about him and start right there. I said, there is nothing. I'm telling you, I've looked. I can start right there. This man has zero good. <laughs> and I really hope he don't ever get any good because if he gets good and I have to like him, I'm not really going to like it because I want to stay mad at him. I don't like him. You know what he does to me? <laughs> hey, that's real, right? And, man, I was being real. And finally, I woke up on the couch from a nap. Crying out, man, as soon as I woke up, my eyes opened, I started crying out, God, forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. I saw the pride. I saw the arrogance. I saw the self-righteousness in me. God, that man has a company. That man gets up and comes. I found something. He comes to work. <laughs> hey, I, I tell you, that's what I started with. He, he does come to work. <laughs> and things begin to change. And I begin to pray for him. And one day he came up to me and he said, you know, we finished this project. I wasn't even on this project. The other part of the meal. But he said, we finished this so-and-so project over here ahead of schedule and under budget. We made money. 
great. He said, but it's because you were praying. I'm like, man, how do you know I was praying? I don't even hardly talk to you. I'm still trying to find good stuff to say about you. <laughs> we can't carry a very long conversation. Or I'm going to backslide right here. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Please don't talk too much. I'm going to be repenting here in a minute. <laughs> and little by little, I kept praying for that man. and praying for that man. And then he'd come asking for prayer. He was so full of hate, so full of sin, so full of darkness. That's all that was in it. Amen. You got to be real. You can't have a prayer life if you won't get real with God. And no man is greater than a prayer life. I don't care how many crosses you wear around your neck and how many times you jump in and out of the baptismal pool and how many times you memorize the hymns. You cannot rise above your prayer life. Look, let me put it like this. I know that seems foreign. That's religious, right? Or, well, spiritual, I don't know. How good is your relationship with your wife or husband if you don't talk to them much? The more time you spend with them, the better it gets, right? Wait. Somebody's saying. <laughs> you said be real. No. Same with God. That's why I hear people say, that's my own understand. Me and my wife, we're, we're best friends. Why don't y'all get married? If y'all don't like each other. I, I got to move on. That's not my message. God is not looking for pretty. He's looking for real. Religion stays on the surface level, and it won't go past the mind of the spirit. Therefore, it gets angry with those people that do get in the spirit of God. Hey, those people up here pulling out strongholds and praying in tongues. And if you get mad, that's religion. If you wish, I wish they'd shut up and quit praying in tongues so loud in this service. That's religion saying that. Because the spirit of God is spiritual. He's not mental. Hey, God is not mental. He's spiritual. Yay. It's in the King James. He's not natural. Anyway. And so the things of God don't make sense to the natural mind. And so, there's religion will not come in and support the spiritual side of God. It will watch. It will distance itself because it gets embarrassed. And let me tell you, there's coming a day, if you don't quit being embarrassed of God, you're going to have problems. America has got to quit being embarrassed of this Savior we say we love. Hey! we got to act like we love him in public. All right, the next one, excuses. Benjamin Franklin said this, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Those that are good at making excuses are very seldom good at anything else. We make lots of excuses for not praying. We also make lots of excuses for gossiping, and we wrap it in a thing called, I told you that so you can pray. Yeah. Yeah. That's sharing your faith, right? No. Hey, man, we make excuses for not sharing our faith. But can I tell you something? Jesus didn't go to the universities and the Bible colleges and tell the professors, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. He went down to the docks. You ever been to the fishing docks? It smells like fish. It's pretty stinky and nasty. 
And those people that are working on their boats, they stink and nasty too. You ever watch Deadliest Catch? He went there. He said, hey, you, pull in those nets. Come go with me. I'm going to give you a spiritual job. I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men. But we make so many excuses. We're not ordained. We don't, we, we don't have our education. We might get scriptures wrong. Well, so, but you might get it right. <laughs> yeah, you might get it right. It's like saying, I'm married, but I don't tell nobody. That's real. Boy, man, surely that's not tomato. We make, it, we make excuses for other people's sin and, and not going to church and not giving. Look here. Here's a scripture. One day Jesus was invited to follow him, invited a man to follow him and become his disciple. That man refused. He said he would follow Jesus later, but he first wanted to go bury his father. Jesus responded, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Man, Jesus could come right down where you're at. He could slice it and dice it so there was nothing left. There was no more religious to it, you know? He said, look, man, you're making excuses. You really don't want to follow me. You just want to look like you're following me. Hey, did you, did you know there's a difference between believers and followers? Hmm. The devil believes. Last one, double-mindedness. James 1, 5 through 8 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that give to all men freely, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let that man ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven from the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Double-mindedness. What does that mean? It means, Sister Julie taught on this one time. Man, it was so great. I'll never forget that. She stood up here, and I can't say it like she said it, but it means to have two minds, two separate minds. Look, I can barely get along with one. I certainly don't need two trying to tell me what to do, all right? I have enough problem with this one right here, and an extra one is really going to mess me up. It's all I can do to get this one to come under subjection to the things of God. Things still come out of my mouth unsanctified. Double minded, two minds, half and half. Part of me wants God, part of me don't want God. Part of me wants to be in the ministry, part of me don't want to be in the ministry. Part of me wants to be in the ministry, but the other half don't want to do what it takes to be in the ministry. Let me tell you something. If you're going to have fire, something has to be consumed. Hey, I said, in order for there to be a fire, something has to be consumed. It's called our flesh. It's called a prayer closet. It's, hey, it's called fasting and giving. And something has to be consumed for there to be the anointing. The anointing never goes on sale. It's not a pinto. It's not cheap. The things of God are not cheap. When you feel the anointing in this place, somebody has paid their price. Somebody has laid on the altar. Somebody has got a hold of this God that's reachable and attainable and stopped the fight in somebody else's life. Somebody has grabbed a hold of God and brought the fight to drive out Satan for somebody else. Amen? A double-minded person is restless and confused. Confused. Confusion is not of God. 
It's double-minded. God gives us a straight mind, a sound mind, and he'll give you a knowing. The thing is, in today's churches, we're not taught to hold on to God until he answers. How foolish is that? You pray, but don't wait for the answer. That's a trick of the enemy. That's a religious way of praying. Just tell God all about it, believe before you hear the answer. You can never have victory like that. No wonder you're always confused. God will speak. It might take a day. It might take five days. But wait upon the Lord. You'll renew your strength. Amen? If God says it, it's going to happen. Restless and is confused. A double-minded person is always in conflict with himself. One torn by such inner conflict can never lean with confidence on God and his promises. Unstable. It's, it's like a drunk man, unable to walk a straight line. Man, let's, I don't care how many blue lights they turned on, I never could walk that line straight. It just wouldn't work. Drunkenness will not allow you. Such a person is unstable in all they do. Look, half of you is fighting against the other half. And you know what? God wants to stop the fight. He wants to stop the fight. There's part of us fighting against us because we think it's going to cost so much. It's going to cost so much to give up that last little thing. But can I tell you, it costs so much to hold on to that last little thing. Those little things that are hold out in our life. So why does God want us to surrender our religion and excuses and our double-mindedness? These things fight against him. God will give you a word. That wasn't God. He'll give you direction. That ain't God. Your pastor will speak into your life. That's not God. It fights against him. And it's hard to steer a parked car. And when God is speaking to you, he'll prophesy over you through, through people at the altar. And, and a word of prophecy that is God. That ain't God. I don't know if that's God. Double-minded. Come to church, but your so mind is so out there on something else, you never enter into the praise and worship. So religious that you won't go past the surface, and God can't give you his best because you won't go past the surface. It fights against him. Excuses. <laughs> Listen. The best employee is not the best employee if they don't show up. The best employee is the one that's there. Hey, you know who God uses? The one that's there. You've got to make yourself available. It's not rocket science. All right. Stopping with this. Now, here's a warning. In 1 Peter 5, 8, says, be sober, be vigilant, be aware, watch out. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. The devil, I can promise you, is walking around, whispering in your ear, stop the fight. Stop the fight against darkness. Stop the fight against religion. Stop the fight against excuses. Stop the fight. It don't take all of that. You don't really have to be that sold out for God. He's trying to stop the fight against him. 
Amen. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Let me show you what happened right here. In Genesis 1 and 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. Everybody say dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over all creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. It's creepy. Dominion. Ruling authority. Genesis 3, 2, and 4. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said... You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said, here comes the kiss of the enemy. See, the warning from God was like a wound. But the kiss of the enemy comes right here. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. One more scripture. This is it. Genesis 3, 9. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto Adam, Where art thou? Adam! Where are you? Over here. I surrendered to Satan. I surrendered to the gals of Satan. I let him have rule over my life. I gave the authority that you gave me to the enemy. His kisses were so sweet. It's really not my fault. I have an excuse. Her name is Eve. In case you want to know how many of us come into this revival and then they go out and you want to know where Billy is and where Tommy is and where Susie is. And when you find them, white flag of surrender. See, they say things like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to wait till I'm 100%. The kiss of the enemy. Satan's kissing you in the ear. You know you're not ready for all of that. You can't live holy like them other people. Wait until you're ready to give 100%. That's honorable. That's stupid. Can I tell you that's stupid? That's not biblical, and it don't even make good sense. And it's not even impressive to me. I'm going to wait to follow God until I give him my all. You're never going to wake up one day and just give him your all. you got to come out. I mean, it's just not one day you're just going to wake up, and then boom, there it is. Right? Wait. I'm waiting until I'm ready. I'm waiting. I'm holding out. It's all about you. And God will call you. And he saved you. And the enemy has come and whispered in your ear, wait until you're ready. You don't want to be a hypocrite. Can I tell you you're not a hypocrite? There's only one, and his name is Satan. Go after God. Who cares what they call you? Who cares that they don't even call you? But God has called you, and God has grace and mercy, and he said, don't quit coming. 
You get up tomorrow. If you got drunk last night, get up tomorrow and come to church. It's the religious people that say you can't do that. God is not saying you can't do that. God didn't say, wait till you get your stuff together and get cleaned up. It's the religious people. I got a great friend who goes to a great religious church. And the other day we was talking and I said, brother, you know why the lost and the world is not coming in and filling up our church? He said, no, why? I said, because they don't feel comfortable. Well, that was a great revelation for him. He went back and told his wife. By the way, his brother's the pastor at the church he goes to. And he told his brother, his pastor. He told his wife, he said, honey, you know why the world is not coming to church? He said, no, why? He said, because of people like you and me. <laughs> and then she didn't want to talk to him. <laughs> he said, there's no way to church, and they got to church, and and the pastor was outside, and she said, I'm not talking to him. He said, well, why not? Tell him. He said, well, I just said that people don't come to church because of people like you and me. Religion says, wait till you get it all together. How are you going to get it all together if you're not coming? How can you get it all together in the world when the Holy Ghost is not in the world? But he's in the... Whew. We say things like... Um, I'm too afraid I will mess up, so I'm not going to try. You know what that is? You're surrendering. You're surrendering to the enemy. Surrendering to Satan. That's right. God, I'm too afraid, so I'm going to let this spirit of fear have dominion over me, and I'm going to sit in my pew and not get up. That's right. All right. This is it. The Navy SEALs have a, the most grueling training in the United States military. Apostle Angie and Sister Julie's dad was a Navy SEAL. He was a member of the original SEAL Team 6. And what an honor to get me to minister at his funeral. He said he went through hell week twice. He got almost all the way through hell week. He come down with bronchitis. Had to start over. And hell week is five and a half days in cold, wet, brutal training on about four hours of sleep. And it tests your physical endurance, your mental toughness, pain, cold, stress, sleep deprived, and above all, it tests your determination and desire. Your determination and your desire. On average, only 25% of SEAL candidates make it through Hell Week. It's the toughest training in the United States military, and it's one of the greatest achievements of their lives. Because when they get out in battle, they look back and they say, I know I'm not going to quit. I made it. I fought through. I endured. Hey! Jesus is looking for somebody that's willing to say, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to tough it out. I'll bring the fight, and I'll stop the fight. I'll fight in the fight, but I'm not going to quit in the fight. We quit for all kinds of reasons that don't even make logic sense, let alone spiritual sense. But over the years, research has been done to determine the common trait in those individuals who make it through. They want to know what makes the people that make it through make it through, and why do other ones quit? 
cake. They said it come with a definitive answer, a definite answer. The people that make it through Navy SEAL training in Hell Week, they're not necessarily the largest, the biggest, the strongest. They're not the fastest swimmers. But it's those with the burning desire to be a SEAL. And it's not the Christian that's the strongest that's going to make it. It's the Christian that has the desire to make it that's going to make it. It's the one that have a desire for heaven to come down and God to have his way that's going to see revival. Instructors have observed one true predictor of people that will ultimately succeed. It's those who want it the most. He said, you can see it in their eyes. And I'm asking you tonight, do you have the fire in your eyes tonight for the love of God? Can you see the love, the fire? Is it in your eyes? We hope you enjoyed this message from Freedom Ministries. For more information and to stay connected with us, find us on Facebook or the web at freedomministriescrossit.com.